Hi, I'm Jacqueline Kinser, and for the past five years, I've been helping families all around the globe to overcome their breastfeeding challenges. And this is the first non-clinical breastfeeding podcast that shows you how to rock breastfeeding and master motherhood through practical tips, mindset shifts, and honest conversation to create a confident and empowering breastfeeding journey. This is the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. Welcome back to the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Kinser, and today I am joined by a wonderful guest, Gina Nigro. If you don't know Gina, she's amazing, and you're going to get to know her on this episode. Gina is actually part of our team at Holistic Lactation, seeing clients virtually and doing appointments for us, and she's just such a gift to everyone that she's helped. The reviews that we've gotten from clients and surveys they've filled out after working with her have been nothing short of exceptional, so I'm very excited to bring Gina on the show today. And Gina, for some background information, she's been assisting breastfeeding mothers in person for over 25 years, and now she's doing telehealth all over the world. And she understands that while many pregnant mothers expect to breastfeed, almost none receive preparation for the possible difficulties and the roller coaster of emotions when things are not working. Like many new moms, Gina had her first baby and she was overwhelmed by conflicting information at the hospital, at the pediatrician, and from well-meaning friends and family. Gina had a realization that she would have missed out on the experience of pain-free breastfeeding had it not been for the support that she received, which led her to want to pay it forward and help others. So she first trained as a volunteer breastfeeding counselor in Houston, Texas, then as a birth doula in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and finally sat for the exam to become an IBCLC in Seville, Spain. She continues to lead monthly breastfeeding support meetings online and in person, and Gina believes that all mothers deserve quality emotional and education support so they can have an amazing experience breastfeeding their babies. I love all of these things about Gina, and I'm so excited. So thanks for being here. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to chat to you because you have done so many different things and so many different releases when it comes to breastfeeding. And my goodness, you know, lived in, you know, on two different continents and you recently moved within your own country too. So you've been around the block. And what I love is that I've learned so much from you and your approach, and I'm sure it's changed over time. So even though I kind of gave that intro to the listeners, I'd love to hear more about, you know, how you got your start. Um, you know, you probably didn't grow up thinking I'm going to be an IBCLC. So like you became a mom. Is that what started things for you? Because um, I'd really love to hear more about your past and your experience. I think like most mothers, when I had my first child, I was really focused on the birth. And we don't really get a chance to see birth. I don't know many women who have actually seen a birth before they birth their first baby. Clearly in some cultures, that's different. But when I was living in Houston, Texas, I was just all about the birth. And I find that when mothers have a baby, they do find out, they have that feeling, wow, I was so focused on getting the birth right. And it often kind of deviates a bit out of our control, often things that we didn't expect happen. And it's kind of 
one and done. You had your baby and that's it. But every day, many times a day, many times at night, you find yourself trying to figure out how to get things going smoothly with your baby. And that was kind of, I, I remember when I had my first baby and I was a teacher, I was teaching bilingual kindergarten in uh, Houston and my colleagues came to see me. And I just remember feeling like such a mess that I couldn't get all put together. They were bringing me gifts and I thought, oh, my baby's going to breastfeed and it's going to look like we're suffering. And I was just distraught. And I had the help of my mother-in-law. She came to help us. I had a maternity leave, the basic six weeks here in Spain where I live. It's like four months. So I feel like, oh, six weeks is cruel and unusual. But that was the beginning of me looking for help in a mother group and being blown away by how much help I got and how giving the people were. Mm, yeah. Wow. I mean, I think what you described is sadly still the experience that mothers are living today. And it's also basically echoes my experience when I first became a mom as well. So that's interesting. And I didn't realize Spain got four months. I, I knew it was longer than the U.S., but that's a lot better than we get here. You know, I know sometimes people get, you know, three months here, but it's still not always. So, yeah. so you found a, was it a breastfeeding support group, a mom support group? What, what was yeah. it exactly? I found a La Leche League group and they really helped me and helped gave me information about pumping and going back to work. And all of my close contacts and friends hadn't been so successful breastfeeding. One friend, a friend of my sister's, told me by two months, it will be smooth going. And I was like, I don't have two months. So, you know, we have such mother sensitivity when things aren't going well. We tend to think it's our fault. And when I wasn't able to really get the pumping going and feeling like I could leave two bottles a day when I went back to my teaching and the La Leche League group was helping me, I, and this was all my feelings. And so I can understand when we're not making a mother feel anything, but it comes within her own, oh, am I doing the best for my baby? I remember thinking at the mother meetings, wow, all of these mothers are home with their babies and they may not have, they might've been about to go to work too. You don't really know everyone's situation, but I was so self-focused on, was I doing the right thing for my baby? And I just felt like once I went back to work, I couldn't go back to that group and be a mother who wasn't at home with my baby. And of course we all know that babies just need our love and care and we can go to work and we can combine breastfeeding and working. But I ended up going to a meeting at night and I found my tribe of pumping mothers talking about which pump you burn up. And of course, we didn't know half the things we know now about pumps. I wish I would have known. And I just felt, you know, I, those people just became really close friends. So. You know, I guess the the lockdown and the, the the pandemic with COVID really showed us in studies that mothers being at home and without having as much contact with people previously 
had a much higher rate of postpartum depression. I mean, remote contact or face-to-face contact, both are helpful. And knowing that, it really helps me see, gosh, I didn't need a study. When I went to my support group, when I was back at work, I knew the empowerment that they gave me. I felt like these people understand me. I'm trying to pump. It's hard. I'm managing. (laughs) My mother-in-law was trying to help me and she said, you just have to stay home. This baby is too tiny. I never went to work. And, you know, I thought that's not my life circumstance right now. I need to be working. And of course, I felt very guilty, even when my baby was with his grandmother. So what I really hear you saying about sharing this community that you connected with, you found other moms who were going through something similar to you and you got support just it sounds like even just by virtue of of being around them and hearing all the things that that they were going through, um, whether it was pumping or, or those sorts of things. So I, I agree, you know, to your point about the pandemic and like you said, we don't need to study to show this, right? But isolation is is not good for new mothers, very problematic for them, you know, getting breastfeeding off to a good start, improving breastfeeding, sustaining it. So I know you're one who seems to have really just made an effort to like, you know, pay it forward and give back over the years and support mm-hmm. groups are something that you're really passionate about that you do really well. So I would love to hear more about that and how, you know, if there was something more about you being in a a group like that for yourself or, you know, how you even started your own support groups and what that's Mm. looked like. That's, that's such a, a broad question, yet it really gets to the heart of the support groups and what they give the mothers that come and those that work leading the dynamic of the support group. And like you, I've trained in La Leche League and we there's really a big emphasis. I think their strength, the strength of La Leche League is really giving us a good training and active listening, understanding that when people come for help, they need to feel comfortable and listened to before they can really open up and say a problem that they might have some shame attached to. And as mothers, we feel we're failing our babies or we're not a good enough mother. And we just don't understand. Sometimes I say, you know, no one can tell a kid, let me give you the secrets to not going through adolescence. It's going to be hard and they have to do it. And I think that new motherhood is kind of like that. The rewards are just sooner. It seems like it takes forever. But after those first few months, once you get into a rhythm, it's just such a delightful, I think that time when things are going well at the breast with baby at the breast, it's just really special and almost like easy. And I didn't know this could be so sweet after struggling so much. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
The heart behind the iMom podcast is storytelling because every mom has a story to tell. I know that when I talk to my friends who are parenting and we share stories, we all end up feeling less alone and more capable of loving our kids well. You can find information everywhere on the internet. Some is bad parenting advice and some is pretty wise. We like to think there's a lot of wisdom on iMom.com and when you combine that signature wisdom with a great story, it brings parenting to life. We want a mom who's listening to see herself and her kids in these stories and rest in the confidence that she is the perfect mom for her kids. Check out the iMom podcast with new episodes every Monday. I was just interviewed on a podcast that is not about breastfeeding, but um, it's called the Inspired Artist Podcast. And um, it's a friend of mine that I connected with in um, a birth class that we both took when we were pregnant with our first children, both boys. And it's kind of funny. We had very divergent lifestyles, but yet so many similar things happened for us. And one of the things that she talked about on the show was that sweet spot that you get to with nursing, mm. that it just becomes this magical thing that it's not. I never heard her talk about the milk or the growth or the health of the baby. It was just this, you know, very special, magical thing when it's finding connection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when, when I hear moms talk about that, right, that's what it's about. And like, what, like what you're saying. So I just, I wanted to take a moment and just kind of draw that point out because it's so important. And it's interesting too, how you have maintained the connection with that mother that you met in the time of birth and the connections that we form with other mothers when we're going through this are really special. So I'm, I really cherish my friendships of when I moved to Madrid in Spain from Houston. And I was a La Leche League leader with two other women, one from uh, Nicaragua and one from France. And they were just, I considered them my best friends and I just adore them. And when you share the closeness of mothering and helping other mothers yeah, it's it's really connecting. And I think, you know, we all know that not all breastfeeding experiences are ideal or just blissful, and sometimes they don't go as we want. But when the guidance is such that women realize that the baby wants baby's mother, as long as the mother's there, that's so much more important than anything else. And the mother really values what she's doing, raising her child and growing her little baby. And she senses her importance. In in one of the groups, when I moved to Seville in Spain, there was a mom who had a um, ruptured appendix and she went to the hospital and her baby was little. And, you know, sometimes the healthcare professionals aren't so careful of if the baby's breastfeeding and she said, wait, <laughs> of course, when you have an appendix problem, you can't really wait. But she was like, can I just put my baby on and let him breastfeed and relieve my fullness of my breast? And they were like, no, forget the baby. And they just took her to surgery with sort of an engorged breast. And she woke up engorged and then they'd taken the baby home. And I called the hospital and talked to some, to the group of the breastfeeding committee that I knew. And they were like, for sure, we can have a room for her. But she said, Gina, my husband can't bring the baby here anymore. And 
she actually sort of lost the breastfeeding experience, but she didn't want to lose coming to the meetings. So she came and she continued to come and she really enjoyed the friendships. And one day when someone was saying, you know, a little bit insensitively, well, you know, I never gave a bottle or I never used any other nipple or a pacifier. And, you know, as the person guiding the dynamic of the meeting, I said, well, you know, we never know the reasons why someone might do that. And just to keep everyone honest, Vanessa had this situation where, you know, the situation was bigger than her and she was hospitalized with surgery and then she had an infection in the wound. She had to be re It was just a mess. But she's here and she's mothering her baby wonderfully. And it was so meaningful to her and to other mothers. It just felt like, wow, the group's so cushioning. And she's still in a little WhatsApp group that I have of those mothers. And she still makes donations when this is going on or that's going on. Yeah. And it's, you can see how the group lifted her up in her mothering. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. That's, that's a perfect illustration of the point that I feel like we as lactation consultants are often trying to make, which is that promoting breastfeeding does not mean excluding mothers who don't breastfeed, or it it doesn't mean that we, you know, a a mom who breastfeeds is, you know, the the sancta mommy that she's made out to be like, it's okay to be proud and to celebrate something, right? Um, You know, for many people, they work hard to make breastfeeding happen. But it's also okay to acknowledge that some struggles are just too big and breastfeeding is not compatible with that. And it's just Mm -hmm. sort of the way it is. It's not really a judgment. And I love that. I love that you had someone in the group Mm -hmm. for whom breastfeeding, you know, did not work out, but she saw the value in that motherhood connection. Yeah. I just, I just thought of another, a a little twist in the meeting, you know, a a mom came and her husband husband is an, was, he is an only child. And she came just saying, my mother-in-law, I'd helped her. I'd seen her on a home visit and she got everything going after a really horrible first month. And, um, she'd had a situation that was quite unique that her baby went to 42 weeks in the pregnancy. And she just felt like she didn't want to be induced. And there was a lot of pressure and almost a threat of calling child protective services but finally her labor started and she went and she had the baby, but she felt like the last two weeks were so stressful. Her baby just had to be having some problem. And then when the breastfeeding was a stress, it just seemed too much. And she kind of nested into her home. And when her mother-in-law heard that the breastfeeding wasn't going so well and they had to supplement, she really was like, I don't know about that breastfeeding stuff. And I encouraged her to come to the meeting with her mother-in-law. And I think that's always a nice thing if people in your support circle hear what the help you're getting is. Like I think made with holistic holistic lactation, excuse me, I've sent links to mothers that need to hear something and they play it for their husband. And they're like, oh, we got so informed. And this particular mother, you know, she said, my my mother-in-law doesn't, know anything about breastfeeding. It didn't work for her. And when everybody introduces themselves, her mother-in-law 
introduced herself and said, well, a little bit shy. And I made sure I didn't make her speak first. She saw how everything was going. She said, well, I only have one baby and I tried and I breastfed him 38 days. And she started crying. It makes me want to cry. And it was so telling of her pain or sadness and how it didn't work. But she had this mm, tension with her daughter-in-law that she was just causing pressure. And the meeting went well. And I was, you know, I made sure to say, wow, that's amazing. And we can see how much it meant to you. If you remember how many days in your son's almost 40. After that, she just said, you know, I understand that my daughter-in-law has a support system. I know it's going well. And those are the kind of things that you, as working with mothers, we get so much back because that's a big ripple. And and this woman is a, a PhD researcher in diabetes. And she's from Brazil and she went on to work in a community health project and she just has breastfeeding up front and center and all of her viewpoints on everything. And had she not had such a nice experience, well, that would be different too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I I find how, you know, whether it's a support group, like you said, or, you know, it's a one-on-one appointment or, you know, something is, is being passed along to the partner or, or, you know, the Mm -hmm. the parents or the in-laws, like that inclusion of other family members in the process Mm -hmm. and to really understand and support is so helpful. Like for anybody who's listening, if you're going to go see a lactation consultant, or or take a class um, about anything related to to parenting, but obviously breastfeeding. I mean, have your partner come. Have you know a, a supportive you know mother, father, in law, you know sister or somebody come, because then you don't have to one explain everything to them that you yeah. just ingested too. But they'll really see you know this this value of you know um, the support that you are getting or that you're seeking out and. Oh, it's amazing, right? Like when somebody is involved in that. And I've I've always loved, you've probably seen this too, where you have like an appointment with a family and the dad is like, wow, that is so cool. I didn't know, blah, yeah. blah, blah, right? Um, yeah. Or the yeah. mom will say, well, now where was that support when I had you? <laughs> you yeah. Know, like, yeah. I wish I had had you 40 years ago. You know, like I, I always love when they say that because, you know, it's it's like also sad, but, um, you know, they're like happy for their kids when they see that. But it's so nice because I do think that all women can talk about having their periods and all women can talk about, oh, now I'm pregnant. But sometimes when we get to the topic of birth, um, you know, someone might say, I just want an epidural. I don't want to feel anything. And someone else might say, oh, natural only. And when you go one step further to breastfeeding, like the mother-in-law that I mentioned that story, anything she said about breastfeeding was perceived as negative and against it when really she just had a little bit of sadness and, oh, that didn't work for me, or maybe I failed, or even though someone might just choose not to breastfeed, but I can see that 
it's so important that our language is inclusive of all ways to look at something, never making a quick assumption about anyone, what their intent is, or maybe what they're feeling until they let us know in so many words. And yeah, I I think those of us that are IBCLCs and we've been volunteers, IBCLCs, we've been doing this for a while. It's kind of like when you learn a language and the more a foreign language, the more you learn, the more you know you can learn. So we're just always open to, wow, that's new or that's better. And I think that's so important. People that practice, and this is the way I do this, and this is the way I do that. Whereas being in a group like holistic lactation, we can get together, share if one person goes to a conference or someone else does, we can share updated new information. We're passionate about it because we've had our children, we've had difficulties, we've overcome them, we've helped others. Yeah, I'm kind of um, going in a different direction, but I. I know the sensitivity issue is so important. And, and a funny story, when I, I've always, I've been speaking Spanish since the 80s. And um, when my mother-in-law came to help me with my baby, my first baby, and she'd always say, ay, el pobre, poor little thing. But in Spanish, it's just a term of endearment and sweetness. It's like saying, oh, sweetie, for someone who's dependent on you. I just remember thinking, why is she saying poor little thing about my baby and taking it as an an insult to my mothering? And, you know, 20 something years later, when I moved to Seville, Spain, and the woman who loved and adored my dog said, I la pobre. I was just like, I mean, it's so that pain is so deep in us, but hurts us as a mother. And I was like, oh, wow. So saying poor little thing is loving and a term of endearment. And of course, Louisa loves my dog. She didn't say that because I wasn't taking it. And I, I told my mother-in-law, we had this good laugh about it. And she's like, how could you think I was criticizing you? I said, well, so, you know, as mothers, we just take anything, our skin is so thin and that's important to know too when we're helping mothers it is and it's important to know about yourself as you go through that stage because I think for many that's like a big shock you know and I try to remind moms you know there's there's a balance right like you know absolutely anxiety and postpartum anxiety and depression and postpartum depression all of those things are, are very real Right. But at the same time, I've heard a lot of moms say that, oh, I had postpartum depression for a few weeks or I had, you know, postpartum anxiety for a few months. But they're saying it where it it really wasn't, you know, something clinically significant. It was just, you know, this this time that they went through that I try to remind them we kind of all go through that. Like it's normal yeah. for you to feel a heightened um awareness of things in your environment, whether it's what people are saying to you and mm-hmm. what you're reading and um all of the all of these things because you're trying to 
be the best mom to your baby that you can be. You're trying to ensure the survival of another human that just came out of your body. And you just went through this crazy hormonal shift. Um, Like it's, it's so much, it's so intense and it's all at once. And yeah, I just think we need to be more, more gentle with ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And especially Mm -hmm. with, with other mothers too, where I feel like, you know, I've definitely seen sometimes where moms seem really sure of themselves, which is wonderful. And they can sometimes look at other moms and not understand why they're as sensitive as they are. So it can create some conflict, like you said, and we want to do our best to avoid that because that's where those mommy wars or whatever we want to call them come in. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot, it's uniquely something that is ours as mothers though. And I love that you're talking about it. Well, it's interesting too. I think that those of us who become a mom and have had a a very active professional life, like we've been independent, capable, the owner of our schedule, planning our weekend and our next vacation. And we just really have things under control. It's hard to imagine. I I remember thinking what I was going to do when I was on maternity leave. And basically, just taking care of baby and getting your food and taking a shower and going to the bathroom kind of takes up your time. And yeah, I think I'm losing my train of thought, but it's like, I, I think it's difficult for mothers to really feel so, I, I guess, out of control sounds like almost offensive, but without being the owner of their schedule, everything's on baby time and they're putting baby needs, baby's needs first. And I'm helping a mom of a mother of twins right now. And um, she's from another culture married to a a Spanish man. And um, I was asking her, oh, are are her in-laws really helping making delicious food? And she said, well, I've, I like food from my culture. I've prepared, I've frozen everything. I'm so ready. You know, this is early on and, and she's over 40. And that's a situation where I think it can be really overwhelming when we were perfectly competent to realize how we just, you know, and this is the thing, like when we say, um, if a mother needs to pump more and she's so stressed, she's just stressing her out. Well, probably not pumping more and having less stress is going to be better for milk flow. And we have to really know what's doable for each mother. Yeah. No, I, it's true. I, I agree. I think, you know, the, one of the reasons why I like the name holistic lactation is because when I think of something that holistic or what that word means, it means including information like you just said, which is really you know, kind of what is this lifestyle that this person has? What are their goals? Mm -hmm. What's important to them? You know, there's a lot of other things that we could, you know, we could talk about health history and and socioeconomic status and and all these other things, right? But 
really when we're supporting families with breastfeeding, it's considering the whole dynamic, right? We don't get Mm -hmm. to sit there and prescribe. I mean, we could, uh, probably not going to get any follow-up appointments, (laughs) right? But like, we could prescribe them, you know, if you must pump yeah. this many times a day for this long, like, well, okay, well, what's working for you now? What's not working? Yeah. What would you what, like things to look like? Okay, yeah. here's what I would suggest. Does that feel doable to you? Like, it's this, it's a conversation that we're having. It's mm-hmm. a relationship that we build with somebody because breastfeeding is a relationship that a mom has with a baby. Mm-hmm. It's not just this, you know, make milk, baby drinks it, make milk, baby drinks it that's lactation. Mm-hmm. That's not really breastfeeding, right? So even if you're pumping, it's no different. Like there's, you have this relationship with the pump, mm-hmm. <laughs> the baby still has to eat, even if you're exclusively pumping. So it's all these nuances to things that, you know, and you've probably seen this, I, I guess I, I wanted to hear your perspective on this too, because, you know, you are a mother who is uh, a couple of steps ahead of me in your journey, your children are older than mine. And, um, it, and you've been, you know, helping families breastfeed for so much longer than me. It sounds like a lot of things have maybe stayed the same, but what are some of the things that you've noticed have changed over these last couple of decades in terms of, is it goals? Obviously there's more knowledge about things than we used to have. Um, yeah. so I'd love to hear some of the differences. Well, I think back when I had my kids in the 90s, um, you know, we always, it was important to have a book and a person to call. And, you know, life has gotten a lot faster. And I was always surprised when I came to Spain and I saw women really need and search for the wisdom and approval from their mother. So, Whereas I felt like in my home American culture, I thought I can get a book. I'm smart enough to do this. I can figure it out. And the human connection part in Spain is so lovely. And if you can get the family and the support people on board, they really support. But to answer your question, you know, there's so many choices on social media that, and they all, so many of them look so nice. I'm not really a a good example of that at all, but um, like, say, for example, we know that we give mothers information in small increments so they can digest it. And we say, you know, we're first going to work on this. And the way you're going to know that's working is by looking at the, you know, maybe you need to increase your milk supply and you're going to look at how many ounces you pump. Or maybe it's going to be that, um, you know, baby's eliminating better, whatever. And I do find that mothers are so quick to go find complementary information. and. For example, recently I'm working with a mother and she's amazing and her husband's on board and he's amazing and they're so great. And some things 
aren't going as well as they'd like. And there's some bottle feeding. And wow, dad has fantastic questions. But at the end of one of the appointments, there was a mention of, um, I don't know, of a sleep training type program that's not so ideal for a newborn. And I, you know, I was like so glad they're glad what they found. But later I looked it up and uh, then I almost felt guilty as the professional guiding them that I sort of, mm, I didn't really give it credibility, but I sort of okayed it at the time of the consult. So I wrote the mother and said, just in all sincerity, I know I'm going to see you in a couple of days, but I want you to know that when I looked up this information, it's not so much in line with a new baby who's needing bottles. And if you're noticing that the information I've given you is sort of conflicting with a sleep guidance program information, you know, don't be confused and we'll talk about it. But I just felt like I had to say that. So when you ask what's different, I just think before people went to their mother or their friend, like I called my sister's friend and she gave me good information and I found the Leche leak. And now it's just instant, but it's hard to really vet each place. So like I tell moms, you know, I work with holistic lactation in the United States. Everything on their site is great. You can always look there when they're um, expat moms that are English speaking. It's all, you can trust all of it. And I usually say, if you want something on blah, 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 let me know and I'll help you find it. But yeah. Am I, am I really answering your question? <laughs> sort you of. Are. You are. Okay. I would even say that my son is almost 10 and so much has changed in 10 years regarding what you just mm. said. Like I too found La Leche League. Um, I tried to find a mom's group, um, you know, kind of in addition to or out, outside of that or, or something. Mm -hmm. And there were Facebook groups. Meetup was still a thing. If anybody remembers meetup.com. Yeah. Um, I went on there. I went to a lunch. So everything was like in person. Like you used the digital means to create in-person events. It wasn't a place mm -hmm. to ask questions yeah. um, still at that time. So, I mean, yeah, there were Facebook groups kind of starting out. So I didn't have the same inclination as moms do now to head straight to Google for things. Mm -hmm. I definitely looked things up, but, and there were blog posts, but I don't know, it wasn't, wasn't the same degree as it is now. And definitely social media wasn't the same. Like, there were no accounts that were as big like mine that exist today. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's changed. I've definitely seen it change in practice as well. I do remember early on, um, you know, my daughter's six, she's almost seven now. So I started practicing then and I was obviously doing my clinical hours before then. And, and moms used to ask me a lot more about what book I recommended, you know, is uh -huh. there a breastfeeding book? I have mm -hmm. not had that question in years, especially yeah. since the pandemic, which books are still totally relevant if you're locked down. Yeah. But yeah. 
it's changed. It really has. And very rapidly. So whether it's, you know, 25 years or, or 10 years um, or six years, I still think that that, that change you mentioned is, is really obvious. Like, yeah. It was hard too. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. They're, they're like, they, they've hired us, right. Um, they're, they hopefully trust us and our advice or, or we're earning mm-hmm. their trust through, through our work with them. But then all these other things are validated to them and, and people trust it and it's good and bad. Right. But it's like, okay, well, so, but if that account who is maybe just a mom influencer, she has 400,000 followers, is the mom going to listen to her more than our professional advice? And if she does, is it problematic or, you know, there's like all these questions. Yeah. And that's where we learn in the end, we give as much good information as we can. And mom decides another, I I left La Leche League. I'm not sure in the, in the last few years and my meetings that I was holding in Seville were like, well, they were community meetings and I have always had the online meetings for the mothers that I do consults with. But I've heard from, from some of my friends from the Leche League that, well, and I've seen it in all meetings that often mothers come looking for a solution to a specific problem. And the heart and soul of mother meetings is just getting together and talking with another mother who has a baby. And we see that no two baby, mother-baby pairs, dyads are alike. And we kind of realize, um, well, oftentimes we realize, wow, I don't want that difficulty. My difficulty may not be so bad. Or, wow, there were 10 mothers here and we're all so different, but there's so many things we're experiencing similarly. So I think, for example, there's a local meeting I'm going to now that I adore the pediatrician running the meeting, but she is a professional. And so moms go for a solution. And that's hard for me because at the meeting, that's where I, I, I'm expecting mother to mother support. And so I'm kind of a fish out of the water there. I'm like, hmm. But, um, well, and kind of sidetracking when I first came to Spain and in general, there's a term here, not from the pandemic, it's called the cuarentena, a 40 day period. So cuarenta being 40 in Spanish and cuarentena is the 40 day period. And in Spain, people generally refer to the 40 day period after birth. Oh, don't worry if you're having trouble, you're just in the cuarentena. And it's really forgiving and it's kind of a grace period. And it's a time that moms can forgive themselves if it's not working. And um, so that's something that has not changed. And I love that because it's not like if it doesn't work today, I'm giving up, which is a lot of what we might see in a people coming to get a fix. And here there's a little more patience, like, you know, nobody expects to ride a bike in one day. And there's an acceptance that breastfeeding is a learned, improved with practice behavior. So that's nicer here in Spain, I believe. Yeah. 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 
No, I, I think that's a noticeable difference. I do find in the U.S. that it's very, I want an answer now. Um, I won't give up until I get the answer. It's very focused on the information, um, which is, you know, if that's the place that you're in, like, by all means, you know, seek it out. And, and when we don't know that there's not just a one answer, one size fits all, we're still searching. And I I had chosen a pediatrician with my first son because he spoke Spanish and my mother-in-law did not speak English. So when I went at two days after birth and fine, baby's fine, but the nurses, two nurses gave me conflicting information. And at the two-week visit, they another nurse gave me other conflicting information and the breastfeeding was going horribly. And I was trying to explain to my mother-in-law what they said. And she kept saying, but that's different. And that's different. And that's different. And I was like, well, what do I do? And she said, well, I don't know. I just put them on my breast and they fed. And of course I felt defective, but I called the doctor's office and I said, I need to speak to the doctor because I thought I was going to tell on the nurses. <laughs> I wasn't so <laughs> diplomatic before I learned how to be a, a helper. And they were like, no, the doctor's only for emergencies. What's wrong? No, I need to talk to him. So he came to the phone. He asked me, is your baby Santiago? Yes. Was he here two days ago? Yes. What's the problem? And I just said, you know, this conflicting information is is not helping me. And he said, okay, we are helping babies with leukemia, you know, whooping cough, bronchitis. He named all these things that were serious. And he said, your baby was fine. If you have a problem, go to a mother support group, look for a lactation helper, but don't call us. And at the time I was so indignant, like how can a pediatrician not have the answers about the only thing babies do, eat and sleep. And the nurses were giving me, and so I always feel grateful to that doctor for being honest and pointing me in the right direction. And that, I really wish more doctors were like that and just said, you know, we learn about sickness and pathology and that's where we help you. And for breastfeeding, you go to a breastfeeding expert. Oh. I agree, actually. Like I have been saying for years, you know, because inevitably, right? Some someone I'm working with, you know, will say, Well, why didn't the pediatrician tell me any of this? Or, yeah. you know, how could they have not, you know, isn't this what babies do? Like you said, they eat, poop, sleep, yeah. right? And I'm like, because your pediatrician is trained in infectious disease and looking for mm -hmm. major health concerns, like medical problems outside of feeding. They're not mm -hmm. trained in feeding. They don't really have the time needed. Like my appointment is an hour. How long does the pediatrician spend with you? Right. It's at least yeah. an hour. Um, used to be longer before I got a little more efficient with things. So like I try to remind parents of that, like they're not that kind of specialist. Like you said, if they were more honest about it and gave you resources, they didn't, it wasn't yeah. just a dead end right? Then I think we'd have a lot less confusion from families, a lot less hesitation. And, and, you know, even if it is just like you said, a, a La Leche League group or something, start somewhere, you know, if you find yeah. out you need more then by all means, but gosh, that would be refreshing. So I love it. I love that that doctor said that. And you're like, I am so yeah. grateful. <laughs> you know, there's a, there is a doctor, <laughs> there's a doctor in the South of Spain. I can't remember the city. I think it's Lu, bueno, I can't remember. Um, it's close to Cordoba. 
Cordoba. And um, he went from not being very informed about breastfeeding at all. And a mother came with a, and he's very personable and a great pediatrician. And a mother with her second baby, he asked, how's the breastfeeding going? And she said, I don't know. It just seems like I don't have milk. Kind of making a flip comment because the baby was just so demanding. And he pulled out a sample and she's like, what? Why are you giving me that? I, oh my God. And she pulled out a, a book of a famous Spanish pediatrician said, you need to read this. And he, he says he read it and was so embarrassed that for almost 10 years, he had just been giving poor advice and giving formula. And I, I, I talked to him and I said, you know, Javier, what, how did, what did you think about these mothers when they were so anguished? He goes, Gina, what, what am I going to have an opinion about what's happening with their breasts? That's not my area. <laughs> that's, that's just so presumptive, you know, it, yeah. it, it's really revealing. And he said, I'm making up for it. I'm informed. I'm helping. He runs, helps with the breastfeeding group. That's a pediatrician Aww. that you can count on for backing up. So there are some. Yeah. His name's Javier Navarro. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it. Yes. If you're in Spain, go check him out. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that. There are some, right? You know, um, I had Dr. Rebecca Diamond on the podcast several episodes back. She's mm-hmm. a pediatrician. Um, her book recently came out, um, towards the end of last year, parent, like a pediatrician. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of all of the things that, you know, she knew so many things medically as a doctor, but then becoming a mom learned a whole new set of things and realized, oh my goodness, I have not had this training. You know, there was, I think I can't remember exactly how she said it on the show, but you know, you're in medical school and you get some little lecture, which is basically how breastfeeding is good. Yeah. Formula is not as good. And that's like it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, they just, and I, I try to, you know, this is those, what you're saying, like we try to remind families, like the pediatrician is a doctor for the baby. They are not yeah. the boob doctor. They are not the women's health doctor. They don't, that's not their area, you know? So it's, it's really hard. Right. I had a pediatrician mm-hmm. locally here. Um, the mom, came in, the the baby was just having so much reflux spitting up all the time. And the pediatrician had, you know, had the discussion and the mom was this huge oversupplier and she didn't know what to do with her, you know, fully admitted that, like, I don't know. Um, So she called me and she said, I've got this mom. She's making 60 ounces a day. Her baby is spitting up. She's miserable. She's like, you know, we can manage, you know, you know, the baby and maybe we're going to do some bottles for now. She's like, but I need you to help her. Cause I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely. That's my area. I was so excited that the pediatrician yeah. did that. Like, she was like, I have no idea what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Right. But like, that was the best thing she could have done. And I remember this mom, I think it was like that afternoon she came to my office with her husband and just, she was in tears. I think she was like three weeks postpartum and she was skinny as a rail with the most gigantic mm. breast. Like she was wasting away because of this oversupply. It was mm. out of control. And she was just at her wits end. Like, how do I make it stop? You know? And so yeah. we helped her, but it was like, yeah, you need that teamwork and you need that. You know, I like if mom's asked me about, you know, something, 
that, you know, has nothing to do with lactation or the breast. Hey, I, I don't know. That sounds like a question for your OB, right? Like, obviously. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah, hopefully people realize that, but I think too often we, you know, pediatricians, they're generally compassionate people, right? But mm-hmm. we may not have all the answers and that's okay. That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's so true. how long have you been in Spain? Um, because, uh, you know, you've had quite a bit of time there now and kind of, yeah, I guess collectively three years in the eighties and then like seven years and I was in Valencia. Then I was in Madrid for about seven, that's 10 and then seven in Seville, it's maybe 17. And I've just been here in Castellón de la Plana for almost a year. And of course, the first thing I always do is look for the local breastfeeding group. And it's a way to connect with like-minded people. So all the things that we've sort of talked about, um, the value of meetings, having moved recently and not having my little dog died shortly after the pandemic, that was tough, but not having my dog walking community and not having children in a school community working online. I realized too, all the things we tell mothers, you need to connect with people. You need to, the more contact you have, the better for regulating. It's like if you're constantly worried about something and then you go have some fun, it just gives your body a break from that intense, too much stress. And I've found myself like, okay, Gina, listen to what you tell the moms, you know, you need to stretch sometime while you're doing something. I want, you know, stretch the other side, be sure and have your water, get out and meet people. So I, this year having the stress of moving, you know, it's clearly not an upheaval, like having a new baby, but I do understand the feeling of, you know, just recently on, on NPR, sometimes when I'm cooking, I put English news on. I had NPR. There, there's a study. I don't know if you've heard a bit about. It's been going on for like eight decades, studying three generations of people and what makes them happy. And surprise, it's relationships with other people. So the people in the study who have really taken care, and it can be your partner. It can be, it's funny, they didn't mention children. You know, with our line of work, I was looking for those that stay close to their children. But maybe that's less of a named thing in the US because children go on to university and they're off. And here in Spain, they stay closer to home. And that, and also working with babies and mothers, that's my focus. But it's a seven minute audio listening while I cleaned up my kitchen or cooked saying, what's the one thing you can do if you can only do one thing to improve your happiness and it's invest more in your relationships with people. And they spoke about it's never too late. There was someone who'd fallen in love when he was 80 and there were some people who did some activities when they were 60 or 70, but you know, we know that relationships, people we've gotten close to when we were mothering, and I love it. You started off just by saying your friend that you met when you were pregnant, and then you did a something now. So, you know, the perspective that I have over time, I know, well, also we know breastfeeding problems 
they'll get sorted. It's a short time. It's a small drop in the big bucket of motherhood of a baby. And we also see the value of helping it to just get down a comfortable road. It may not be our choice or what the mother initially wanted, but she's okay with it and she's working with it and she's feeling good as a mother. And yeah. And then we get some, that's that ripple effect where we get something back. We feel good. We've helped. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Everything you're saying about that is, is I think really overlooked, right? I mean, maybe we think of our, you know, romantic partner relationship or, or something like that. And, um, but overall, you know, we need more than that. Right. And, um, even, even for people who are introverts, um, you know, you definitely, it's not that you want to be a hobbit in your house all the Mm. time. Right. So, um, there, there is that you just might need longer to recover from those external interactions, but it's come up in our community quite a bit lately. And I think that this is something that I've experienced and and maybe you did too, but new motherhood, especially if your current social circle is not full of people who have young babies or also new mothers can create a shift in your relationships. And so if you don't find a new community to feel rooted in and build new relationships in, it's not that you have to abandon all the old ones or anything like that, but you just might find that you've grown further apart from certain people or they're yes. not able to really support you as a friend in the way that they used to before you were a mom. And mm-hmm. that's okay. But then you shouldn't feel like you have to be isolated or, um, you know, you're a different person now, right? Yeah. It's a whole major life transition. So connecting with um, you know, another, a new community building new mm-hmm. relationships is so, so critical, especially if you don't have, like, it's obviously more common in the U S to not have that extended family support, to not yeah. have that, um, you know, forgiveness of 40 days. Like you said, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're returning to work, typically those people aren't the most sympathetic to your cir- circumstances. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, finding that community becomes even more important, I think, for most mm-hmm. new mothers. And it's always surprising to me, like you said, you know, I think there's this mentality of, well, I'm just, I'm looking for an answer, a solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we get that a lot, right? It's, it's you know, people are Googling, right? They'll send us like a DM on Instagram, which is, you know, hey, connect with us, right? But it's like, we want to connect with you. We're not like a hotline, you know, and you're kind of asking us something that you could Google and, um, you know, these, like the presumption of, you know, is it okay to take this medication when I'm nursing? Like, well, first of all, <laughs> mm. um, I need to understand your entire medical history, what yeah. supplements you take, what medications you take, your allergies, and then maybe we can establish whether or not, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like it's a whole thing, right? But yeah. people seem to shy away from building the relationships. And I don't know if I quite have that one figured out just yet. Is it people feel like they already have enough relationships? Is there more social anxiety? Like, I don't know if I've... That's um, tough. I do think it's just a changing world. Luckily, here in Spain, people are very go out and have a drink and a tapa type of people. 
Like they just are out (laughs) and it's an easy thing to do. And yeah, the culture allows for, I, we had some friends visiting from Dallas a month or two ago and they're like, Oh my God, these Spanish people have their baby out in a little carriage or they're, they got them out and it's 10 30, 10 is dinner time. And they're out there with their baby. What is that? That child should be sleeping, (laughs) but babies are embraced and part of the culture and people Mm -hmm. adore them and love them. I think that is a saving grace for moms here because I, I remember I had a friend in Houston who told me, um, well, when I was going to have a baby, I was pregnant. She said, well, you know, I just don't like to be around babies. I mean, like I would rather, and of course, there was still the smoking section in the restaurant. <laughs> Can you imagine the smoking section on a plane? There was even that. Oh. But she said, I choose the no baby section over the no smoking section anytime. And I remember feeling so nervous about that. No one would ever say that in Spain. And it, no one, like, you know, when I see children doing things here, like running around loose in a store, and I just have to laugh to myself and think, okay, in Spain, kids can be kids. Because the United States, we might say, oh, it's a safety issue, and it it could be, or it's a different cultural way to expect what kids should be doing in public, or maybe even a concern they shouldn't be out of our sight. And here, they can be running around in the town square, and I'm talking toddlers now, but people are very inclusive of children and very accepting of mothers being out with babies. So mm. that's not that. Yeah. yeah. But the mother meetings, yeah, is another piece. And I think getting to the mother meeting, once people get there, they're like, wow, this is so great. And they, they come. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it, there's so much value in that. And Gosh, you know, the U.S. is a big place and there's differences between, you know, rural and urban and suburban and states and all of that. But mm-hmm. there's, I, yeah, but I've been around the U.S. and mm-hmm. there's definitely some similarities. And, you know, one of the things that I think I may not have been empowered to do had it not been for being a part of La Leche League early on was I would take my baby And then once I had babies, I brought my babies everywhere and I never, I didn't ask permission. I didn't wonder if it was okay because to me it was like, well, but this baby is dependent on me and it is what it is. So it would be weird for me to go somewhere without the baby or to, it would be such a burden for me to have to make arrangements to go somewhere without the baby. So when I went to the OB's office for a checkup, the baby came. I know so many moms who are arranging childcare to make that happen. And I'm like, this is the person that helped you like conceive and birth the child. You don't feel like, I mean, if you don't want to have the baby there, that's fine. But like, I also think sometimes we kind of tell ourselves that, right? And so I I remember many, Mm. many times when I had babies and I usually was wearing them in a carrier and, uh, you know, cause it's like way more mobile, way, way more, especially you, you wore two at a time. You managed two at a time. Uh, yeah. you know, that was rare. Definitely made yeah. the toddler okay. walk while I wore the other one. A lot of, yeah, the yeah, time. yeah, 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 yeah. He, well, it's funny. He hated strollers until 
his little baby sister loves strollers and then he likes <laughs> strollers. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're big now. Um, yeah. so, but I would, I would constantly get moms asking me, how do you, how do you, how do you do it? Like, how do you, how do you manage? How'd you bring your baby here? Like, did you, did you ask them if it was okay to bring your baby? <sighs> like, that was a common question. Like, how did you get permission to bring your baby? And I'm like, where's, yeah. I mean, I didn't assume that I couldn't, I just, I kind of, you know, sometimes I knew I was doing it right. But it's like, if I was invited to a party, I assumed I could bring my baby. Why not? You invited me. So you're kind of inviting my baby. Mm -hmm. And I just would show up. No one ever said anything to me. Maybe Mm -hmm. I was lucky. Maybe I had that look on my face. Like, don't mess with me. I just did it everywhere I went. I just did it. And I think yeah. that we don't do that in the U.S. Like so many moms don't do that. Whereas in Spain, it's like accepted. It's celebrated. Of course. You know, um, the baby cries. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at El Pobre. Like it's just. Mm-hmm. So I wish that we had more of that here. But I think all it takes is really like on not to put the burden on the mom, but like on an individual grassroots level, though, if we all just started bringing our babies everywhere, then it would become accepted eventually. And you know, it's not, we're not breaking a, a rule, probably. I'm sure some mothers saw you and emulated the practice. It's hard to sure know, hope. really. Yeah. Who you influenced. Oh, and I nursed everywhere. Sure. I never had a cover. I don't want to say never had a cover. I wasn't, you know, out there by any means. Yeah. Most of the time, people had no idea I was nursing because, yeah. you know, you feel more exposed than you are, right? Old people yeah. would love to come up with me. Oh, is he sleeping? Oh, he's, he's. <laughs> Okay. Like, yeah, Yeah. you got a little too close to me. (laughs) That happens. Yeah. Right. But, oh, I love that, that it's a thing there, you know, it's celebrated and, and all of that. And, um, it's definitely not here and it's sad. I feel like there's like, it's compartmentalized. There's places for children and there's places for adults and they very rarely blend or overlap in the U S. Yeah. And that's not a problem here at all. It's yeah. Very accepting and very nice. That's, yeah, that's amazing. So out of, if you were going to recommend, this is like kind of like a fun question. If you were going to recommend a mom have a baby in Spain or the U.S., what would you recommend and why? Well, the longer maternity leave is just hands down uh, such a bonus. So assuming that it takes that quarantena, the 40-day period, to get things going smoothly. Oftentimes when you're back at six weeks, or I I answered a helpline for Spanish-speaking mothers in the U.S., and there were moms that told me, no, my baby's two weeks old, and I can't pump at work, and I'm back at work. And maybe they were working in a fast food restaurant, and they said, I'm at a window, a drive through window, and, you know, now we have a haka. They can maybe put a haka on and get some relief while they're at, or a, a hands-free pump. Yeah. But the maternity leave here is amazing, even though here we know that other European countries give you longer and give you a child care stipend. So here we feel like we're cheated. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And I think birth has become really medicalized everywhere. Even my time that I was in the Netherlands, like 2000 and I don't know, eight to 2014. And I did doula training and I got to see nice birth. 
Um, I, I think that's a really nice place to birth and a really nice place to be on a bike all the time and be active and be moving and have, yeah. Yeah. I, I, but the weather here, I take Spain. I'm going to vote for <laughs> Spain to have your baby and have a happy breastfeeding experience. Yeah. I love and the, that. the groups are great. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. No, that's amazing. And you know, there's probably just some things by virtue of it being a smaller country that it's, you know, easier to to manage things for that population, I assume. And, you know, I'm not, I don't like to make excuses for the U.S. I think there's a lot of things that could be going on better here. But at the same time, I just kind of think, you know, this is a really big place with a lot of people. And then all yeah. these states with all their own laws and everything, like, it's a lot, you know, like, yeah. it, for us, you know, living in one state versus another, I think often feels like for Europeans living in one country versus another, like it's. However, all the regions here are very different. And it's funny because if you ask me to talk up the good things about the U.S., I could come up with a lot and I'm very sensitive to not down talk it. Like when I'm home with my mother and I tell her something, oh, something great about Spain. She says, well, we have that. And she gets a bit sensitive, you know, defensive. And I'm like, I know there's, once you've lived away from home, you're always going to find things you like better or like less in each place. So I'm just taking it specifically on birthing and breastfeeding. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to say for Spain for that. Yeah, no, I I love that. You know, um, my husband um, lived in Canada for a while and still has many Canadian friends. My in-laws mm-hmm. are there. And whenever we've, you know, spent time with them, either they've come to visit or we go there and, and his friends and they get a year uh, off after having a child. Yeah. And they're always like, you know, so surprised about what's happening in the US. What do you mean you, you know, have to, yeah. Like, yeah. Or even no, a lot of moms have no maternity leave. Yeah. Yeah. They're shocked. Like, why would you not be with your baby for a year? Or some people yeah. might go back, you know, before the year, but, you know, it's because they needed the money or, you know, it was, it's like this weird thing for them to even conceive of that happening. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's funny to hear, I mean, my husband does not have the birth and breastfeeding perspective, but he's lived all <laughs> over. He's lived in Poland. He's lived in South Africa. He grew up there. He's lived in Canada. Mm-hmm. He's lived in the U.S. And I've asked him several times over the years, like, you know, out of all the places in the entire world, because I have not lived outside of the U.S., you know, what, what's your favorite where, you know, what's the best place in your mind? And he's like the U S and, you know, it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's like many reasons though. You know, we can always say bad things and good things about anywhere. And yeah, it's kind of what you make it. And probably like you said, from that NPR little segment, you heard probably comes down to relationships. You know, if you have, if you have healthy relationships, that increases your happiness. And, you know, realistically, you could kind of be anywhere, I assume, right? If you have. Yeah, we we definitely have to be proactive. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, like, for anyone who's listening, that is maybe pregnant, or has, you know, recently had a baby. Mm. For that relationship piece, what would be your advice for them about, you know, really how to establish or nurture and grow those relationships that she needs to, 
you know, really thrive in her experience of motherhood? Well, first and foremost, I would always encourage mothers to seek quality breastfeeding help as early as they're having that desperation feeling, because you're going to be feeding every day so many times. And once you know, you can lower your stress and then next step, you can go to a mother support group or find one online and somehow connect with other mothers. It's such an important thing, but it's really hard to do if you're still falling apart on feeling a lot of anguish about things not going well. And especially if your birth didn't go so well, having the breastfeeding not going well, it just compounds the stress being horrible. And if your birth didn't go so well or as hoped or as expected, but then the breastfeeding gets sorted, you just, it's so healing. So I would say take care of that piece, value quality help. And if you don't find a fit with someone, don't say, well, I tried and it didn't work. Because it sounds like, you know, we're really touting the wonder of La Leche League. And in the beginning, I went to a group and I didn't feel so great about it. And I went to another and I didn't feel so great. And it was the third group that I found, wow, I loved it. And in other places I've lived, mothers have told me, oh my God, I went to a mother meeting and someone was trying to sell Tupperware or, you know, it was just like (laughs) trying to get you to sign up to buy things. That was terrible. And she ran away and I was like, you know, okay. So if you go and you look for that group help and it's horrible, don't give up, try again. And then I'm going to take my advice here. Being a person who's just moved, I'm going to go keep trying. Yeah. To make connections in the community. Oh, that's the best. I could Mm. not have said that better. And I never really thought of it this way. But what you said is, is so important. And I really want people to really, really hear this. If you're in that place of that desperation, like you said, go Mm. get that sorted out first. Like Mm -hmm. those, those mother groups can help guide you and connect you with that support. Right. But I think a lot of people come to those first and it's kind of like this triage, right. Um, You know, just a quick aside. um, There were, it was our local electric league chapter, but we had kind of two little branches and, you know, I would try to go to both meetings and kind of, you know, cover. Well, one of those locations was held very close to a hospital where a lot of people gave birth. And because of that, we got a lot of people coming into those meetings fresh out of the hospital, like mm-hmm. somebody needs to help me with this breastfeeding thing. And we're like, yeah. that's not what this is for. Like yeah. we will do our best, but you need to go seek professional help. And I will never forget this woman. Um, she came in to this meeting and I was kind of like a little established, you know, I wasn't a leader, but I was a member and I had connected with the other moms and the leaders in that Lala Chaley group. And she was, I think she had like literally driven from the hospital with her mom and came there and she brought her pump and, you know, basically was just, I mean, her baby was screaming and crying and she couldn't get any milk out. And we kind of, you know, came over in, in the corner. One of one of the leaders kind of led the meeting. The other came over in the corner and and asked, 
you know, me and this other mom who had, you know, kind of just been supporting the group, right? Hey, like, come over, you know, sit with her. And she's just in tears. And, you know, how do I work this thing? I don't even know how to connect the pump. I mean, it was chaotic, right? Yeah. Well, she went on to have a very abundant milk supply with the fattest baby that I've ever seen. And for so long, and she was like, you know, became really good friends with us. I don't think she even ever came back to a meeting. I think she was like embarrassed (laughs) after that. Like she did not want to show up anymore, but she hung out with us and became part of our mom's group outside of that. Yeah. And um, I guess it's probably been, maybe it was last year or maybe, maybe the year before that, but she called me up and has, um, you know, moved on to another marriage and had another baby. Uh And I did a home visit with her. And she was obviously in a much better place, but it yeah. was so cool. Like all these years later, you know, yeah. and, um, anyways, it all worked out. And so that was my long winded way of saying that, yeah, please don't come to Lala J league, like with bloody emergency and you don't know how to put your pump together and that's not, yeah. they can help, but you yeah. know, it's not really what they're there for. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that though. Get it sorted out and then come and come and And you know she you. felt welcome and she felt connected to you and she oh, yeah. seeks you out later. So the ripple effect is there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, she's she's a, a great mom and and you know it all it all worked out. You know, she ended up just, mm-hmm. you know, loving breastfeeding, right? But mm-hmm. it was kind of I always felt a little sad, like we all knew, you know, she didn't come back because she was just, I mean, honestly, probably wouldn't have even recognized her because, you know, when you just go to the hospital, you showered, it's like a whole thing, you know, but I think she just like felt like she couldn't come back, which you don't want to do that, right? You want to be able to come back to these meetings and get support. So don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I think you have so much wonderful wisdom and experience and you are the elder that (laughs) most respect that I always look up to because not only do you have this longevity of experience, you've worked with so many different people in so many different locations. You have such a a really deep, compassionate understanding. I think Mm. of the raw human condition that is motherhood that you bring this whole other like deeply emotional side, but also very practical side to breastfeeding support that Mm. I really value so much. And I love learning from you. Mm. I love collaborating with you. I love that you're a part of our team. And so for anybody who's listening, if you love what Gina's had to say, and you're like, that Mm. is absolutely what I need in my life. Um, she can work with you and she does virtual appointments with us. So, um, we'll put the link in the show notes for anybody who's interested, but keep in mind Gina's in Spain. So if you're not in Spain, her availability will look a little funky to you unless you're in a similar time zone. We've had some moms. I know you've seen this, Gina. Mm. I've always gotten these calls. Um, I booked an appointment with Gina and it says 1 a.m. Uh, I think I made a mistake and I'm like, no, that was the correct time, but yeah, you may not have wanted 1 a.m. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But didn't we have a mom? She did like a middle of the night for her appointment. Yeah, there right? was. And she said, it's a quiet time. I'm up anyway. <laughs> it's good. Okay. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. See, I love that. Right. So yeah. you can get middle of the night support. 
from Gina. And you know, you, I wake up all the time. I have a bunch of messages that came in from moms in the middle of the night. So probably if they thought we had middle of the night appointments, more mothers would schedule. Maybe, maybe. So now you guys know our secret might be a thing. Yeah. Or if you speak Spanish or you have Spanish speaking family members that you would like Mm. to be involved. Gina is so great with that. So Mm. yes, um, all, all of the best things Mm. about you, Gina. And I'm just, yeah, I just think you're amazing. Thank you for still contributing to the world of breastfeeding. Mm. Thank you for all of your hard work and thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. That's such a nice, sweet wrap up. I loved it. Aww. And I love you. So no. yeah, well, make sure if, if you're listening, subscribe, there's weekly episodes. We've got some incredible, amazing, amazing guests coming up, whether it's um, moms who have really amazing breastfeeding stories that will probably bring you to tears, but also inspire you um, professionals sharing their complimentary expertise related to uh, lactation and breastfeeding. So um, those are coming up. Stay tuned and leave us a review if you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Did you know most moms stop breastfeeding in the first month postpartum? I believe succeeding at breastfeeding means having the right mindset. In fact, studies show that the number one factor that determines breastfeeding success is commitment, which is why I've created my incredible audio download of breastfeeding affirmations, where I give you actionable mantras so you can breastfeed your baby with confidence and peace of mind. And best of all, it's free. To get access to this audio and PDF, simply visit holisticlactation.com slash mantras, and you can get started right now.